Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. Yes, this is CC with BB 2.0. And if you wish to support us here at Connecting with Coincidence, please like and subscribe for more content. Increasing subscriber numbers increases our reach. We have a, some great guests lined up and we don't want you to miss them. And those of you watching us on YouTube, write us one of your coincidence stories in the comments sections. We will reply. When I was 11, my brother and my parents and I moved from Shaker Heights, Ohio to Wilmington, Delaware, where my mother's mother and three sisters lived. As I began sixth grade, I discovered that for the first time, my new elementary school was going to have a student council and needed to elect a student council president. I had served as a representative for my class, so I ran for president using some of the campaign ideas assembled. I assembled a band and had that band standing outside these classroom windows. And they were all on the first floor. So they're standing outside playing American uh, uh, songs that were like uh, uh, feelings of nationalism. And uh, I stood in front of the band, smiling benignly on the people in the classrooms. And I got that idea because I had been at a previous uh, elementary school in Shaker Heights, where they had a long history of, of electing student council presidents, and I was in the student council. So I had some idea about it. I thought it looked like fun. And so I had that at band, but I also learned something else. I had a poster that I put up on the wall in the hallways and the poster was like folded in half. And on the outside of the poster, it said, open this, open this poster and you will see who is voting for Bernie B. That's me. So you open the poster and you saw a mirror and the person saw themselves as the person voting for Bernie B. And that, I don't know what happened, but I became president of the first student council that they ever had at Edgemore Elementary School. Now I'm gonna ask our guest, was that serendipity? Uh, well, we'll see what Christian Bush has to say about that. Dr. Christian Bush directs the Global Economy Program at New York University and also teaches at the London School of Economics. He is a member of the World Economic Forum, expert forum of the World Economic Forum and a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts and among the 30 thinkers most likely to shape the future, I think of the world. Christian's best-selling book, The Serendipity Mindset has been highlighted by Ariana Huffington as wise, exciting and a life-changing book. And here is what the book looks like and there's a lot in it. 
a lot of good stories. And thank you very much, Christian, for sending it to me. And welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. You're welcome. What do you think of that? What do you think of that uh, story as a an example of serendipity or not? Well, first of all, kudos for being so engaged during your early years as well. I mean, that's of course a great uh, example of civic engagement. And uh, I think you know it's, it's a beautiful example of kind of seeing and connecting dots, right? A lot what what serendipity is about. And I'm sure we'll dive deeper into it, but. If serendipity is all about that idea of seeing something in the moment and then understanding how that relates to something else, how you can meaningfully connect the dots, um, that's certainly something you, you did in that in that moment. Yeah, that's uh, the connecting the dots is like a phrase that's been around a long time. And we learn it as children to connect the dots so you can make out of a bunch of dots, you make something that you can see like a face or an elephant or something that we would do. How do you do that? Connect the dots. And I've had problems in reality trying to understand what it meant to connect dots. And you've kind of helped put that, you've helped kind of put that together. And one of the most important ideas, and you had a lot of them in your book, is that we often get information in our heads, our minds, and who knows why we have it. It gets in there. I think implicitly that's the value of a liberal arts education, but it's also the value of just being out in the world and not just being in the cloistered ivory tower. So I had information in there and then I saw an opportunity to use what I had. That poster was one of the ideas and became president of the student council. What I don't know <laughs> is and this is where we're going to talk about is what makes people want to connect the dots because sometimes they don't as you also illustrate there's a couple of dots but they don't put them together so what drives people to do it but let's start with you and you and your love your love uh, of serendipity it comes it comes through um in your book you love this idea you have a feeling for it you're passionate about it Tell us about a good serendipity story of yours and then how you got involved writing so much about it. Absolutely. And, and to your point, I feel my whole life has been around serendipity. And, you know, when I look back and think about how I met the love of my life, when I look back at how I got my current job, like all these different areas were all somehow in some way about some kind of um, connecting the dots moments. And, and, you know, it really came from, from, from that early um, near that experience that, that uh, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I, I had a horrible driving style. I, I probably held the unofficial world record of how many dustbins you can knock over on your way to school. And, and one day I wasn't lucky anymore and, and crashed into four parked cars, all completely destroyed, including my own. And there was this policeman, he, he came to the scene and he said, oh my God, he's still alive. And you know, this idea that I was supposed to be dead, that stuck with me and, and that in a way made me question a lot of things. You know, I asked all these weird questions, uh, you know, who would have come to my funeral if I had I died? Or uh, who would have cared? Was, 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 this, was this worth anything? And, and, and I had only very depressing answers at that point. And so it took me on this intense search for meaning, trying to figure out what is life all about? How can I, if I would run in front of a car at some point again, uh, you know, 
make it worth it. And, and so um, I started reading this wonderful book, um, which I actually reread during, during COVID, which is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And it's all about this question of how do we find meaning even in the toughest of, of moments? And, you know, to me, this, this has been um, a driving force in my life to try to understand every situation as something where you can somehow imbue meaning even if it's the toughest of situations, because there's always something in there that might still make sense, even if it feels like a completely senseless situation. And so, you know, that kind of took me on that journey. And I realized what I enjoy doing the most is somehow connecting dots, connecting people and seeing that spark. And so um, in my early life as community builder, it tended to happen all the time. You know, we we brought together young people who were pushing boundaries in different fields and you would go to a dinner and people would say, oh my God, such a coincidence, such a coincidence, such a coincidence, such a coincidence. And I got really fascinated by this question. What is it about these settings that these people seem to have so many more coincidences than other people um, where, where you don't have it? And so that really propelled me to, to look more into this. And then later on in my research, you know, the most purpose-driven successful people, they, they seem to have something in common which was that they somehow intuitively cultivate serendipity. They seem to have more of it, but also continuously produce it. And so there was really the fascination behind this work to say, is there a science-based framework that we can put behind this and, and really understand it deeper and then inspire others to have more of it? I'm gonna repeat this great history of yours, your own personal example in which you somehow survived you should be dead. And in your, your book is infused with uh, an existential sense that, that you could see how the fragility of life. And it, it, it carries through your book in various ways. You just are happy to be alive, partly from that experience. And you recognize how, and you write about that, how people may not, but some people do. And then you saw a lot of people, um, being serendipitous, <laughs> we can play with the words and they're fun. And you wondered how they, how, how did that happen? And along the line, you started reading Viktor Frankl and then you started thinking about man's search for meaning. Here was a concentration camp person in the forties and somehow he survived. And part of the reason he wanted to survive is he wanted to write that book. He wanted to have this out there. Uh, he came to uh, Stanford where I was a psychiatric resident because Irv Yalom has written about existential psychotherapy. He was one of my teachers there. And there was Viktor Frankl talking. To, I didn't, I didn't never heard of him particularly. But what he said was something that sounds like what you do, that Viktor Frankl finds meaning in life by helping people find meaning in life. I love that. Yeah. That sounds like you. And just parenthetically, uh, last week, and I like coincidences, as you also know, I interviewed a woman from Israel whose major purpose in life is to help people find meaning in life through, among other things, dramatic-like events, which include synchronicities and meaningful coincidences. And she is a logotherapist in uh, in Israel, I think Tel Aviv or Haifa or someplace in between. So it's kind of funny for me to hear Viktor Frankl two interviews in a row. And I am going to email you later and try to connect the two of you because that resonance is the same kind of serendipity thing that we talk about. The proximity really helps a lot um, in, in time. And, and then you started uh, 
seeing that uh, CEOs and other leaders were doing a lot of serendipity finding also. And that's led you towards a science of serendipity, trying to figure out what Walpole was just doing because it was one of his things that he could do. Uh, and you took it, you've taken it out of uh, like literature finding, like the guys looking for books in bookstores and find and they all in the 1800s and finding books that they were looking for. And there's the definitions of serendipity they have to play with, but you want to figure out a way to help people find meaning in life through serendipitous encounters like the person in Israel. That's a, that's a wonderful mission. My mission with the Coincidence Project is to encourage people to tell stories like yours, because that's one way to be able to increase it. So tell us something about how you think people become able to, to increase their serendipitous events in their lives and find more meaning. That's a great question. And first of all, it's, it's, it's great that you have that kind of showcasing of coincidental stories, because to your point that in a way probably inspires people also to, to first see them in their own lives, but also then, you know, see how they can have more of, of that in their, in their lives. And so that's, that's right. Yes. I think that's quite related actually to, um, you know, if I, if I were to break it down into, into three kind of simple factors, um, you know, take the quintessential coffee shop um, example where, um, you know, imagine you go into a coffee shop and if you have erratic hand movements like I do, you spill coffee over someone. And, you know, um, you spill that coffee over someone and you sense, for some reason, you sense there might be something there. You, you look up and you sense there might be something. You, you, you don't know what it is, but you just sense there's something there. Now you have two options, right? Option number one is you just say, I'm so sorry, here's a napkin. You walk outside and you think, ah, what could have happened? had I spoken with this person? And then option number two is, you know, you start a conversation and that person becomes the love of your life or your co-founder or your next investor. The point here is that our reaction to that unexpected moment, our, the way of how we responded to that situation that we didn't pick, imbued meaning in that situation potentially, but a lot of times actually something is holding us back. And to me, that is the first aspect, which is really about, we all have biases. We all have self-limiting beliefs. And you know, you uh, of all people know, know of course, uh, extremely much about this question in terms of how much people hold themselves back. I mean, there's societal constraints. We all have different base levels of serendipity and so on. And, and that's probably uh, also part of a conversation that's important. And at the same time, we all have self-limiting beliefs, right? I'm not worthy, I'm not ready, I'm not X, Y, Z. And so it's really the first step for, for all of these kind of uh, other things we'll talk about, I feel is at the core of saying, what is it that holds me back to self-censor myself in a meeting, to not bring up that unexpected idea, to not talk to that person in the coffee shop, to you know, not endeavor X, Y, Z thing that I see in the moment, but I don't act on it. And so if that's the first pocket, the second is really about more, um, how do we also create more of these meaningful accidents? So one thing is to, to view meaning in those accidents, but also how do we create more of those accidents uh, ourselves? And, and there actually, my absolute favorite is, is the hook strategy. And so the hook strategy is all about saying, how can I cast more hooks out there that other people can pick up so that other people can connect the dots? Because a lot of times, you know, um, connecting dots is a team sport. And so um, take this example of Ollie Barrett, who's this wonderful entrepreneur in London. And if you would ask him, what do you do? You know, this dreaded question that we all get at conferences and so on. 
he wouldn't just say, I'm a technology entrepreneur. He would say something like, I'm a technology entrepreneur, recently started reading into the philosophy of science, but what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. And so what he's doing here is he's giving you three potential hooks where you could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence. My brother recently started playing the piano. I should put you in touch. You should um, you know, have lessons together. Or, oh my God, such a coincidence. My sister is teaching on the philosophy of science. You should give a guest lecture there. The point here is that the more we can see these different hooks into conversations, being that our deeper interests or anything else, we allow people to pick up the ones they're interested in rather than pitching something on people. And then I think the third aspect is really about what are all these different types of themes and things we can work on um, that in general allow us to look at life differently. And I think we can probably talk more about this later in terms of how do we frame the world? How do we um, um, develop our networks and so on? So more of the kind of tactical aspects, but that are based on, on these deeper psychological questions and on these kind of questions of how do we make sure that other people can connect the dots for us as well. In the first part of your story in the coffee shop with the spilled spilled coffee, you you mentioned, I feel there's something here. Now, you started after talking about um, blocking yourself from actually seeing the potential in unexpected events. Uh, and maybe we can get to one of your stories that help you get past that because it's in you've described that so nicely but it's that feeling of being able to see it that it might be called sag sagacity sometimes it is but even what you just said and we get maybe to the psychological here but you you have a feeling and intuition let's call it which covers a lot of territory that there's something here there's something here could you talk something about that? Like, how do you know when you got something that says it's something, there's something here? This is extremely interesting. I think it's something that I've seen a lot, especially with high powered leaders that they will always have a story of why they did something, right? Like the CEO of XYZ company will say, I did this because of these numbers and this thing and this thing. Yeah, but you know, usually not. Like usually kind of they woke up one morning, they said, you know what, I think we should buy this company. I think we should do this. I think my, my daughter just told me this, so we should expose that, give me some kind of excuse of how we can make this happen, right? Yeah, or yeah. why we, we make it happen. And so the point is we then a lot of times either post-rationalize, so we tell ourselves, yes, we we made all these decisions because for years we were researching this and now we're finally getting to that point. Or, you know, I mean, take the example of, of how we find our jobs, right? Like we all will tell the example of our CV and say, oh yes, and then I wanted to go here and here and here. Yeah, but maybe you just ran into someone at a conference who told you about a new job and you were like, oh my God, this is exactly what I wanted to do. And then you did it. But of course, then you post-rationalize it or you, you, you narrate it after the fact in, in probably a slightly different way. The point that, here is that a lot of times- yeah. That's also true in scientific research as you you didn't go you didn't talk about that in your book but serendipity is a wonderful way to find new drugs for example uh and psychiatry has loads of them or lots of them but it's it's mostly i followed the research protocol and came up with this it's this retrospective organizing it according to the standard themes and of what well, I did this the right way and that's why it happened. And what you're trying to do, I'm trying to do is say, 
not just in business where you're doing a lot of this and you're doing it other places too. I'm more in the medical school uh, research thing where you can find out stuff by just uh, knocking it around in the lab and who knows what's going to happen. Being open. Yeah, being open. But then there is the ability to recognize something. This is a hard part of all this is to not only be able to be trusting yourself as you have learned to do and you tell other people, but also to be able to trust yourself, not just you can do it, but that you can feel it. And those CEOs that you describe who I'm going to have to do this. I woke I was falling asleep the other night and I came up with a, a phrase called it was uh, that's all. And I knew it was a song, but I'd forgotten it. And I went and now I like to sing a little bit. So I found the song and it was perfect for me to develop for a particular reason that I wanted to have it. And that is a was a wonderful example of what you're talking about. It just comes to you in, in subliminal times. And what you're teaching people to do, I think, is be able to believe that there's information in them that they are not paying attention to, but is trying to wave at them and say, hey, I got something for you. Well, exactly. And, and in a way, get away from kind of what one might call like a naive gut feeling, which is essentially just fight or flight or, you know, the kind of more instinctive type things that, as we all know, might lead us into not always the right direction versus um, one that is really based on let me get as much as information as I can and then listen and, and really have this mature gut feeling, this mature intuition that, that somehow I learned to trust. And I think that's the really interesting thing that, that those CEOs, for example, are really good at to say, I learned to recognize patterns. I learned to recognize that if I meet a person, even if they tell me the best pitch or the best thing that I can hear, if my gut tells me that they probably have something to hide, I should listen to that. I should research more. I should get more information because maybe I haven't seen something cognitively that, that my gut already has, has identified. Thank you for almost doing what I thought you did, which is we ha we need to have a mature, a more mature thing than the gut feeling. Uh, there are so many people out there now saying I'm right because they feel it's right without applying, without applying their own rationality and experience. And we need another term because you used gut feeling, but it's not gut feeling. It's, it's something that is a mature gut feeling, if you will. It's not just here. It's like almost through your heart and your mind as well as in your gut. And that's, is that, would you agree with this? Could you describe that as I'm trying to describe it? Could you comment on that? Absolutely. And, and to me, that is really the, the kind of con, like the, 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 the gut and, and, and the heart and the mind in a way aligning, right? So the heart in terms of maybe values and, and everything that we care for aligning with what we what we know and what we can know aligning with like what we can somehow sense and I think that's in a way when you think about when we think about leaders we really respect they, they're really good at aligning this and, and also I think being conscious of trying to get that alignment because when you think about you know um, I've made the worst decisions in my life in this in, in moments where my my head told me something but both my gut and related to that, the heart and, and the heart probably, you know, being part of the gut at some point in, in that regard, um, told me the opposite. And, and still I would go with the head because that's what I learned, right? When I grew up, 
I was trained as a, you know, in Germany, we were trained to like follow the kind of, you know, this is the strategy, like, and then make it happen versus actually saying, you know what, maybe there's something more here that I don't see yet. And so to your earlier question, I'm a big believer um, and, and I think a lot of research shows that especially in more uncertain situations where we can't know everything, we have to somehow find a way that gives us a heuristic to say, okay, hey, you know what, here is the kind of things that I can know, here are the things I can't know. So let me put all of this together as much as I can, and then let, let me sleep over it. That's why we sleep over things, right? Because in a way, it's our brain also then connecting dots a little bit more for us, because maybe we haven't seen all of it consciously, but actually there's a lot we, we might know more uh, once we give ourselves that kind of time um, to, to dissect it. Sanda Erdelet says talks about super encounterers. And that's what you seem to be describing in your in your part two and part three, people who do that a lot, especially the CEOs. Uh, and there's this decent research about a, a range of potential for people who encounter. Could you tell us something about what you think of that idea and how it fits into what you're writing about and, and researching? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I think she's been doing wonderful work and highly recommended to read up on, on her. Um, um, but apart from being a great researcher, also being a wonderful person, which I yes. think is always then another reason to, to really listen to, to someone. Um, but but I, I think, you know, when, when really stepping back and saying, what is serendipity all about? Serendipity is so much about, in a way, developing potentiality, right? It's about seeing more in the moment than others see. And what I've always found fascinating is when you surround yourself with more people who have that, who do that intuitively, it starts to happen with you more as well. And so the fascinating thing is, it's not something you're necessarily born with, or it's not something you can't do anything about it, but both you can surround yourself with more people who have that, but also you can train yourself um, getting, getting more into that. And so what are some ways? So for example, something I'm, I'm extremely interested in is the way we frame the world, the way we look at the world. So how do we look at the world in a way that allows us to see more of the unexpected. Because to your point earlier, once we believe that something could be there, we start seeing more, right? And there's this, this one experiment I'm a big fan of, which is, you know, it was a BBC type um, for fun experiment, but actually it has a lot of truth in it. And, and there's other experiments that describe similar kind of logics, which is they took someone who self-identifies as very lucky. So someone who says, good things tend to happen to me and so on. And then someone who self-identifies as very unlucky. So someone who says, bad things happen to me all the time. I'm always in accidents. And, and we, we all know people on both um, ends of the spectrum, right? And, and or of the continuum. And, and so, um, so they tell those, those people, walk down the street, go into a coffee shop, order coffee and sit down. And then we'll have our interview. Now, what they don't tell them is that there's hidden cameras across uh, alongside the street and inside the coffee shop. There's a five pound note, so money in front of the coffee shop. And inside the coffee shop, you know, this, this chair that's empty is next to this extremely successful businessman who can make big dreams happen. Now, the lucky person walks down the street, sees the five pound note, picks it up, goes inside the shop, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman. They have a conversation, exchange business cards, potential opportunity coming out of it. We don't know that part. Now, the unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five pound note, so doesn't see it, goes inside, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman, ignores the businessman and that's that. Now, at the end of the day, they ask both people, hey, how was your day today? And so the lucky person says, well, it was amazing. I found money in the street, made new friends and, you know, potential opportunity, we don't know that part. The unlucky person just says, well, nothing really happened. And, you know, the interesting thing there is that there's two aspects, right? Or two themes. Like one theme is 
who sees the 20, who sees the five pound um, note? The reason I said 20 is because I literally found yesterday $20 in the street. It's, it's incredible how often people lose money in the street, right? Like the constantly stuff dropping out of their pockets. Anyways, but so it's, it's the one thing here is you actually, once you believe that there's good things out there, you start to see them more often and we can train ourselves to do that. But then also um, there's obviously this aspect that if you engage the businessman, there's a higher likelihood that, you know, there's some kind of opportunity or so coming out of it just for means of quantity, right? The more you engage with potential opportunities, the, the more they will be there. But as a closet introvert myself, I'm actually not that interested in the second part necessarily. I mean, that's a big part, but I'm really interested in how can introverts especially have more serendipity happen? Because a lot of serendipity comes from silent sources, right? Movies, books, um, taking another route to work and then seeing something in the bookstore and saying, oh my God, we haven't talked about this. This should be a podcast. You know, these kind of things where it's really also the silent sources that are really interesting. That, uh, that Richard Wiseman, I, I love the name Wiseman, uh, who did that, <laughs> that lucky story. I just saw it's with a name like that. I mean, I'm, I'm very much in, interested in nominative determinism, how a name influences uh, your behavior. Uh, not all, not all the time, but it's and that's it. That's one of them. Uh, the idea that uh, that an, an introvert like you and I am too um, have to make yourself talk to the businessman, which is something I probably wouldn't do, and I'm guessing that you wouldn't do either, uh, unless you he spilled coffee on you and you had a you had to get a little money out of him for it or something that brought you together and that that serendipity for the introvert becomes an important question for those who are sitting around um not interacting all the time but what I, one of the things that i've done that's similar to what you talked about tiny a bit earlier is organize something called the coincidence project of which uh, sanda was a, a participant for the first meeting and the idea is to get people interested in coincidences. And this is American, so we're, we're biased towards synchronicity, where in Europe, it's more serendipity and, and academic. In the United States, it's synchronicity and like uh, more wild stuff. It's a funny difference across the pond. But the idea is to be able to do what you do and you encourage people to do. Uh, and my colleague, uh, Juliet Trail calls them network enablers. So much of what you say is to enable networks to form and people to meet each other, not just you, but helping other people. And you talk about other people enabling other people as part of the serendipitous process. But there is the desire to do that, that I'm fascinated by as well. How can we like to do that? Juliet just loves it, uh, and I kind of like it. And so I've asked you, to, uh, is it okay with you if I put you together, Panit, in Israel, because um, you have that similarity. So I know people who like to do that. W what makes for network enablers that, besides being in a network to start with, what makes for people liking to do that, like you? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm not sure I have, I have a, a, a simple answer to it, but... I, some questions, like some questions I've, I've wondered about this. So A is, you know, on a very personal level, I love the spark that comes from like 
these potentiality type things, right? Like putting two people in touch and then seeing, oh my God, there's magic happening there or organizing a dinner where you have people who have their coincidences happen and that's just magic, right? Um, and, yeah. and then on the other hand, one thing I've realized, especially with community builders. So in my kind of previous life, I, I was part of, of developing a community for young innovators. And one, one thing I've realized there is surprisingly, a lot of community builders are extremely introverted. And, and, and I try to understand, you know, what, why is that? And one thing I've, I've realized is the beauty of, of developing community is that you can always be part of it without having to always be there. So it's almost you, you know, you, 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 it's like when, you, when you're hosting a dinner somewhere and then at some point you can go home, but because you organized the dinner, you're still somehow there. And so there's this kind of, it, it's hard for me to put it into words, but it's this idea that in a way, it, you, 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 you in a way almost have more control over a setting because you, at the at the at the at the beginning kind of started to create it and so um i but but i don't think i have a clear answer to i mean what do you think i, I wonder if there's deeper psychological questions also behind it but i think in general i love the spark about it and that, that makes it really interesting well there there's it's reinforcing somehow i mean we we go for pleasure i mean whether you <laughs> it's how do you make me feel and that if it's positive i want to see you again that's human beings for the most part so you described two things that I, 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 I agree with. The, the spark, I mean, just the idea of you and Panit talking with each other, because you're both interested in Viktor Frankl and help people find meaning in life very directly by doing what you're doing. Uh, that, I enjoy just, the, hey, how about that? That's a, bit, that's a spark in there. But I like it, the other one with, with the introverts. <laughs> you, you get to form the group around you. You get to pick some of the people in the group. You're just not being as random out there as you might think other people do, just jumping around and see what happens. Oh, I like this person. One of the guys in our, uh, in our group now on the Coincidence Ambassadors thinks everybody's his friend. So he's walking around and he's convinced each person he meets has something to tell him that's important for him, as well as him, he being able to help them. It's kind of in line with the way you're thinking to be able to find the magic in the moment. But he does it in a very extroverted way, which I don't see you doing, and I don't particularly do. I have to push myself to do anything like that. So you, your idea of introverts creating groups, I think is right there i think that's a right on idea well and i also love what you just said about this gentleman in the sense that you know i feel there's a lot of people out there who will say oh this person's boring or this person's this or i was at this boring dinner and to me that's a lot of times a reflection actually of the person who says it more than of the person who they, who they talk with because yes you know there's people who are generally kind of more entertaining than others and yes there's some people who have more life experience than others but you know, I feel even the 70 year old janitor who is somewhere in like a village in XYZ and who never has seen anything else than the village, this person still has, you know, experienced transitions. This person has faced death around them. This person has, has faced so many things that might be a common denominator if we ask slightly different questions. And I think one of the key things actually that, that, that you know, when you talked like in my mind came up is that I think 
one thing about community building is also to think about what is actually the underlying common denominator here and not just assuming it's just because this person's exciting and this person is exciting on paper this is actually like why we should put them into a room actually you know like a lot of the most interesting people might just need different types of questions and then they become at least as interesting and so i think there's also this beauty that i think when you put together groups you can also bring out this beauty that almost everyone or probably everyone has in some way, even if they seem like more boring than others. It is, it is such a positive view of life that you are talking about. And this, this, this guy I was telling about named Ken Harris uh, has something like that. It's different from yours. The feel of you, the two of you is quite different. You're quieter. And you're like kind of more reflective and you kind of know it's going to happen out there uh, under the right conditions and be able to because everybody's got something interesting to be able to go for. Ken doesn't do all that. He just he sees him on a beach. You start talking with him. He just he just has he's just going to do it because he knows it's going to happen. He knows there's something there that's 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 the difference between the two of you and one of the points just coming back to some of the more serendipitous things the, the research that you're doing and that i think is useful for uh, the people watching us and listening to us is the difference between uh, blind luck and mm, intelligent luck or you have a different name for it but luck that you were kind of talking about earlier but could you explicate those differences a little more for us yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, when thinking about blind luck, it's, it's essentially that luck that's all about being born into a loving family or things we can't really pick, right? The, the, the stuff that happens to people is passive, right? It's just happening versus the like serendipity is about skilled luck. It's about that luck that we create ourselves. Um, and, and that's really when you think about, you know, every kind of interesting serendipitous uh, event uh, slash process in history, everything from Viagra to penicillin to, to other um, things, they, they just didn't, you know, it, it wasn't just happening. It was essentially an individual or a team that saw something in the moment and connected dots. So, you know, take the example of Viagra, maybe just to exemplify it where, you know, you had people who, uh, researchers who gave people medication against angina, uh, the, 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 the disease and they realized there's some kind of movement happening in male participants trousers and you know <laughs> now instead of just saying oh my god that's so embarrassing oh my god let's ignore this or let's find a better way to kind of get rid of this side effect they said you know what but there's probably a lot of men in the world who might have a similar problem so why don't we somehow figure out what of the you know what is it about that and then develop a medication and then Viagra kind of serendipity evolved. And I think, you know, in those moments, it's this, not just this, about this, something. The story I heard about that, just to add to yours, just because it's part of the fun of it, is you got to listen to the other people that the guys didn't want to get off the drug. They didn't want to stop <laughs> it. So, so that's just adding about not only just observing, but listening. And that's so much what you're trying to be able to talk about. So please go ahead. I just wanted to see the underline that part of, of the instruction from that story. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's the interesting thing, right? In a way, it comes back to what we talked earlier, that you had individuals there who imbued meaning in that moment. They didn't just discard it. They said, oh, my God, like, this is just something. They said, well, maybe there's still something there, even if it might be um, um, uncomfortable in this moment. And to your point, it, it might be very comfortable for, for some. And so the point here is, I think, that with, with any kind of serendipitous um, thing, you know, when uh, I think listeners look back on their life and maybe 
think about how they serendipitously met the love of their life or their co-founder or others, I think a lot of times there is this aspect about proactive decisions or some kind of proactivity that they had to work for it. It's not enough to just run into that person in the coffee shop and sense it could be your love for life and then, you know, have that one conversation. You have to actually work for it, right? You have to go on dates or you have to, there's something in there that is about your own productivity. And that's what, what this kind of skilled luck is all about to say, there is something random in there. There's something in there that we can't know, but also then there's always like this active element. And, you know, then you come up like, that's when, when the most interesting things happen. I mean, actually one of my current examples, just on that note is, is the potato washing machine, because, you know, oh, yeah, that's, a good, that's a good one. That's that a good one. That is something, you know, that we would ever need, but actually, so this, 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 there's this company in China, they, they do, you know, they produce refrigerators and washing machines and they had farmers call up and say, well, your, your crappy washing machine is always breaking down. And so they ask him, well, why is it breaking down? Well, we're trying to wash our potatoes in them and, and it doesn't seem to work. And so what would we usually do? We'd probably just discard it. Like we would say, oh my God, like this is not made for this. Like don't wash your potatoes in there. They did the opposite. They said, you know what? That's unexpected, but there's a lot of farmers in China who might have a similar problem. So why don't we build in a dirt filter and make it a potato washing machine? And that's again, these kind of things of, of serendipity, especially during times like at the moment where a lot of things we just can't know if we frame life towards, oh, there could be something here, then actually serendipity starts to have much more. But again, it's our proactive decisions that lead to that. It's part of believing. I, I just even climbing around on, on rocks and, and places I haven't been before, I just believe there's going to be a place to put my foot. I just have to think. And it's not always true, but you got to be able to like be able to think that. But one of the points I want to make as we get near the end of our discussion today uh, that you make that I think so important is the individual responsibility in helping to create these coincidences. And I use the word coincidence in the middle of this discussion because what happens so much in the synchronicity discussions is it's some divine intervention or some the universe talking to me or telling me to do this, uh, or it's completely random on the other side of it. But each of those explanations deny the own individual person's responsibility for making it happen. That that's a whole in generally the think the synchronicity kind of thinking. Well, for serendipity, I think the problem is not as lack of recognition of some greater context, which you mentioned somewhat, that we're part of something greater and that, it, that there may be some mystery in here that we call random that has something to do with creating, helping us create what's happening in, with us. Mystery, random, and there's us. So as, I, as we get toward the end of this, I'm... Um, I'd like to be able to ask the challenging question of, uh, of what, how, how you see the differences and similarities between synchronicity and serendipity. That's a great question. And, and you know, I've always been, I think your work obviously has been extremely inspiring also in that regard. Oh, thank you. To synchronicity, um, you know, around that, that kind of meaningful um, occurrence of, 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 of some kind of non-causal events that are somehow happening. And I think, you know, take the coffee shop example, right? If you, if you were going to a coffee shop and you were thinking about a person and then in the coffee shop, you run into them, right? Like that kind of, if it's, it's an extremely meaningful occurrence, right? That, that is kind of like, like, like it feels like, oh my God, like this is such a coincidence and, and, and something there. And again, I think serendipity step would be to say, 
you then catch up and you're like, oh my God, like we could do this together. And then there's this kind of proactive element of let's take this to the next step. And, um, and again, I think it's, it's one of these, I think you said it beautiful earlier in terms of saying, it's, it's not two circles that are completely disconnected. It's, it's kind of like a Venn diagram type where you can see that there's a confluence. And I think I would always look at it, you know, I feel like you have a more active definition of, of synchronicity than a lot of other people for whom it is probably just this kind of meaningful occurrence of events. Um, to me, always the kind of, one of the kind of key um, um, differences has always been that, that idea that serendipity as a process is a lot about that idea that there is some kind of randomness happening. There is this meaningful um, thing that's somehow, you know, uh, randomly happening, but then again, there's this proactive decision, but also there's an incubation time a lot of times. And, and you know, again, um, um, I think that's, that's um, so to me, the, the synchronicity is a bit more active than, uh, sorry, serendipity is a bit more active than synchronicity um, in that regard. But again, I feel like, you know, depending on where you stand, you could probably see the Venn diagrams being almost uh, completely above each other or moving apart from it. And I liked your idea of the, the continuum, right? That like, how much agency do we have in that process? Like, what is the agency? And, and to me, serendipity is very far in the kind of agency spectrum versus maybe synchronicity a bit less there, but um, I guess both can switch um, a little bit depending on where we are. Well, I, 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 you have clarified something for me, Christian, um, that I haven't been able to have somebody serendipitously tell me the way you just did, that the two can be distinguished by the sense of agency in them and uh, in creating the meaningful coincidence that serendipity is really focused on someone doing something and synchronicity is more like it kind of happened to me and i don't know how it happened and the the coffee shop is one but i'd like that maybe i'd like to end maybe with uh, with uh, a funny story of yours um where somebody uh, came to a wedding late and uh, sat down someplace and met somebody that was important to them. That was funny to me because early on in my research, I had that same story happen with one of our subjects in the research where it was his girlfriend's ex-girlfriend's wedding and she invited him and he didn't know whether he wanted to go or not. And he came late and there was only one seat left and it was next to somebody who gave him a job. And what, there's something random. No, there's something he decided not to go or to go late. So he had something to do with it. And I use the term human GPS for getting to where you need to be without knowing how you got there because he needed to be at that time in that place so he could get a job because he was lost. I'm trying to find out where the agency ends and where, the, and where something else is going on. Yeah, and that's a great example because, you know, that example of getting the job, right? I assume that they also then had to really impress that person over dinner, right? And so there was a lot of agency, I assume, not only essentially in the moment yes, of them yes, coming together, but actually yes. also then what did you have to do to get the job actually? That, that's what gets missed. I think that's so important. So you're really helping me see where the mesh comes together of the two and where the, where the overlap I think there is because I emphasize as does one of the people who emphasizes uh, his physics uh, way of thinking about things is that our decisions have a lot to do with what happens. And you can't just avoid that, which a lot of people would like to do. So we've come to the end of our, our discussions here, Christian. And this has really been wonderful talking with you. 
uh, I very much appreciate um, your joining me and your book is The Serendipity Mindset. Uh, it's a bestseller and it, there's a good reason that it's a bestseller. It's well-written. It's got a lot of good feeling in it. It's got research in it and it's got a lot of humanity in it. And I, I recommend any of you interested in meaningful coincidences to take a walk on the wild side away from synchronicity and over to serendipity. And I think you're going to find there's some overlap that you may not have thought about before. Thank you so much, Brendan. Thank you so much for the inspiration. Also, I feel there's a lot to be learned from, from your fantastic work over the last decades. And so, yeah, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you very much, Christian. This is our mental like a hologram of cosmic consciousness